Welcome to the Crown Council Mentor of the Month program. This is Steve Anderson. There are some pieces of success literature that seem to endure the test of time because of the simple truths they contain that are applicable at any point in time, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Such a piece of literature is a speech delivered by Albert E. N. Gray over 70 years ago entitled The Common Denominator of Success. If you and I have spent any time together in the past at a seminar or meeting, you have probably heard me quote from this speech. It's one of my personal favorites. At the conclusion of one such meeting recently, several Crown Council members suggested that we release the original speech in its entirety because of the applicability of the principles it contains. I could not agree more. As you think about your own efforts in the past and your plans for the future, listen and re-listen to what follows. It will shed new light on your results to date in life and give you insights into things that you can add to your life for future success. So now, in its entirety, the original text of Albert E. N. Gray's The Common Denominator of Success. The Common Denominator of Success by Albert E. N. Gray Adapted for the Crown Council Several years ago, I was brought face-to-face with the very disturbing realization that I was trying to supervise and direct the efforts of a large number of men who were trying to achieve success without knowing myself what the secret of success really was. And that, naturally, brought me face-to-face with the further realization that regardless of what other knowledge I might have brought to my job, I was definitely lacking in the most important knowledge of all. Of course, like most of us, I had been brought up on the popular belief that the secret of success is hard work. But I had seen so many men work hard without succeeding, and so many succeed without working hard, that I had become convinced that hard work was not the real secret, even though in most cases it might be one of the requirements. And so I set out on a voyage of discovery, which carried me through biographies and autobiographies and all sorts of dissertations on success and the lives of successful people until I finally reached a point at which I realized that the secret I was trying to discover lay not only in what people did, but also in what made them do it. I realized further that the secret for which I was searching must not only apply to every definition of success, but since it must apply to everyone to whom it was offered, it must also apply to everyone who had ever been successful. In short, I was looking for the common denominator of success. And because that is exactly what I was looking for, that is exactly what I found. But this common denominator of success is so big, so powerful, and so vitally important to your future and mine 
that I'm not going to make a speech about it. I'm just going to lay it on the line. In other words, in one syllable, so simple that anyone can understand them. The common denominator of success, the secret of success of every man or woman who has ever been successful, lies in the fact that he or she has formed the habit of doing things that failures don't like to do. Let me repeat that. The common denominator of success, the secret of success of every man or woman who has ever been successful, lies in the fact that he or she formed the habit of doing things that failures don't like to do. It's just as true as it sounds, and it's just as simple as it seems. You can hold it up to the light. You can put it to the acid test. You can kick it around until it's worn out, but when you're all through with it, it will still be the common denominator of success, whether you like it or not. It will still explain why men, with every apparent qualification for success, become disappointing failures, while others have achieved outstanding success in spite of many obvious and discouraging handicaps. And since it will also explain your future, it would seem to be a mighty good idea for you to use it in determining just what sort of future you are going to have. In other words, Let's take this big, all-embracing secret and boil it down to fit the individual you. If the secret of success lies in forming the habit of doing things that failures don't like to do, let's start the boiling down process by determining what are the things that failures don't like to do. The things that failures don't like to do are the very things that you and I and every other human being, including successful men and women, naturally don't like to do. In other words, we've got to realize right from the start that success is something which is achieved by the minority of people and is therefore unnatural and not to be achieved by following our natural likes and dislikes, nor by being guided by our natural preferences and prejudices. The things that failures don't like to do, in general, are too many and too obvious for us to discuss here. And so, since our success is to be achieved in getting others to say yes to what is in their best interest, let's move on to a discussion of the things that we don't like to do in that endeavor. Here, too, the things we don't like to do are too many to permit specific discussion, but I think they can all be disposed of by saying that they all emanate from one basic dislike in particular. We don't like to talk to people who don't want to talk to us and talk to them about something they don't want to talk about. Again, we don't like to talk to people who don't want to talk to us and talk to them about something they don't want to talk about. Any reluctance to follow a definite system or program in this regard to organize things and to organize effort are all caused by this one basic dislike. Perhaps you've wondered 
What's behind this particular lack of welcome on the part of prospective buyers or patients or clients? Isn't it due to the fact that other people are human too? And isn't it true that the average human being is not big enough to make many decisions of his or her own accord and is therefore prone to escape efforts to make her bigger or persuade him to do things that he doesn't want to do by striking at the most important weakness we possess, namely our desire to be appreciated and accepted? Perhaps you've been discouraged by a feeling that you were born subject to certain dislikes peculiar to you, with which successful people are not afflicted. Perhaps you've wondered why it is that the biggest producers seem to like to do things that you don't like to do. Well, they don't. And I think this is the most encouraging statement I have ever offered to any group. But if they don't like to do these things, then why do they do them? Because by doing the things they don't like to do, they can accomplish the things they want to accomplish. Successful people are influenced by the desire for pleasing results. Failures are influenced by the desire for pleasing methods and are inclined to be satisfied with such results as can be obtained by doing things they like to do. Why are successful people able to do things they don't like to do, while failures are not? Because successful people have a purpose strong enough to make them form the habit of doing things they don't like to do in order to accomplish the purpose they want to accomplish. Sometimes even the most successful people get into a slump. When someone goes into a slump, it simply means that he or she has reached a point at which, for the time being, the things he or she doesn't like to do have become more important than the reasons for doing them. And may I pause to suggest to you that when someone goes into a slump, the less you talk about production... And the more you talk about purpose, the sooner that person will pull out of the slump. Many with whom I have discussed this common denominator of success have said at this point, but I have a family to support, and I have to make a living for my family and myself. Isn't that enough of a purpose? No, it isn't. It isn't a sufficiently strong purpose to make you form the habit of doing the things that you don't like to do for the very simple reason that it is easier to adjust ourselves to the hardships of a poor living than it is to adjust ourselves to the hardships of making a better one. If you doubt me, just think of all the things you're willing to do without in order to avoid doing the things you don't like to do. All of which seems to prove that the strength which holds you to your purpose is not your own strength, but the strength of the purpose itself. Now, let's see why habit belongs so importantly in this common denominator of success. People are creatures of habit, just as machines are creatures of momentum. 
for habit is nothing more or less than momentum translated from the concrete into the abstract. You can picture the problem that would face our mechanical engineers if there were no such thing as momentum. Speed would be impossible because the highest speed at which any vehicle could be moved would be the first speed at which it could be broken away from a standstill. Elevators could not be made to rise. Airplanes could not be made to fly. And the entire world of mechanics would find itself in a total state of helplessness. Then who are you and I to think that we can do with our own human nature what the finest engineers in the world could not do with the finest machinery that was ever built? Every single qualification for success is acquired through habit. People form habits, and habits form futures. If you do not deliberately form good habits, then unconsciously you will form bad ones. You are the kind of person you are because you have formed the habit of being that kind of person, and the only way you can change it is through habit. The success habits in just about any kind of business are divided into four main groups. One, marketing or prospecting habits. Two, scheduling or calling habits. Three, persuasion habits. And four, working habits. Let's discuss these habit groups in their order. Anyone who has to persuade others in order to make a living, and that's just about everyone, will tell you that it's easier to persuade people who don't initially want what you are offering than it is to find people who do want it. But if you've not deliberately formed the habit of looking for needs, regardless of wants, then unconsciously you have formed the habit of limiting your market to only those people who perceive to want what they think you are offering. Therein lies the one and only real reason for lack of prospects and prospective business. As to scheduling and calling habits, unless you have deliberately formed the habit of diligently scheduling and following up on prospects and clients and patients who are able to buy but might have been unwilling to listen in the past, then unconsciously you form the habit of only working with prospects and clients who are willing to listen but more likely unable to buy. As to persuasion habits, unless you've deliberately formed the habit of asking people to do something they may not have considered doing in the past and see new reasons for doing so, then unconsciously you have formed the habit of only talking to people who are in a state of mind in which you are willing to let them make you see their reasons for not buying or moving ahead. As for working habits, if you will take care of the other three groups, the working habits will generally take care of themselves because under working habits are included study and preparation, organization of time and efforts, records, analysis, etc. 
Certainly, you're not going to take the trouble to learn anything unless you're willing to use what you learn. You're not going to plan your day's work when you know in your heart that you're not going to carry out your plans. And you're certainly not going to keep an honest record of things you haven't done, of results you haven't achieved. So let's not worry so much about the fourth group of success habits, for if you're taking care of the first three groups, most of the working habits will take care of themselves and you'll be able to afford an assistant to take care of the rest of them for you. But before you decide to adopt these success habits, let me warn you of the importance of habit to your decision. I've attended many meetings and conventions during the past 10 years and have often wondered why, in spite of the fact that there is so much good in them, so many attendees seem to get so little lasting good out of them. Perhaps you have attended meetings in the past and have left determined to do the things that would make you successful or more successful only to find your decision or determination waning at just the time when it should be put into effect or practice. Here's the answer. Any resolution or decision you make is simply a promise to yourself, which isn't worth anything unless you form the habit of making it and keeping it. And you won't form the habit of making and keeping it unless right at the start you link it with a definite purpose that can be accomplished by keeping it. In other words, any resolution or decision you make today has to be made again tomorrow, and the next day, and the next, and so on. And it not only has to be made each day, but it has to be kept each day. For if you miss one day in the making or keeping of it, you've got to go back and begin all over again. But if you continue the process of making it each morning and keeping it each day, you will finally wake up some morning a different person in a different world, and you'll wonder what has happened to you and the world you used to live in. Here's what's happened. Your resolution or decision has become a habit, and you don't have to make it on this particular morning. The reason for your seeming like a different person living in a different world lies in the fact that for the first time in your life, you become master of yourself, master of your likes and dislikes by surrendering to your purpose in life. So let's talk about purpose. First of all, your purpose must be practical and not visionary. Some time ago, I talked with a man who thought he had a purpose which was more important to him than income. He was interested in the sufferings of his fellow man and wanted to be placed in a position to alleviate that suffering. But when he realized his real feelings, we discovered, and he admitted it, that what he really wanted was a nice job dispensing charity with other people's money and being well paid for it, along with the appreciation and the feeling of importance that would naturally go with such a job. But in making your purpose practical, be careful not to make it logical. Make it a purpose of the sentimental or emotional type. Remember, needs are logical while wants and desires are sentimental and emotional. 
Your needs will push you just so far. But when your needs are satisfied, they stop pushing you. If, however, your purpose is in terms of wants and desires, then your wants and desires will keep pushing you long after your needs are satisfied and until your wants and desires are fulfilled. Recently, I was talking with a young man who long ago discovered the common denominator of success without identifying his discovery. He had a definite purpose in life, and it was definitely a sentimental or emotional purpose. He wanted his boy to go through college without having to work his way through as he had done. He wanted to avoid for his little girl the hardships which his own sister had to face in her childhood. And he wanted his wife and the mother of his children to enjoy the luxuries and comforts and even necessities which had been denied his own mother. And he was willing to form the habit of doing things he didn't like to do in order to accomplish the purpose. Not to discourage him, but rather to have him encourage me, I said to him, Aren't you going a little too far with these things? There's no logical reason why your son shouldn't be willing and able to work his way through college just as his father did. Of course, he'll miss many of the things that you missed in your college life, and he'll probably have heartaches and disappointments. But if he's any good, he'll come through in the end, just as you did. And there's no logical reason why you should slave in order that your daughter may have things which your own sister wasn't able to have, or in order that your wife can enjoy comforts and luxuries that she wasn't used to before she married you. He looked at me with a rather pitying look and said, But Mr. Gray, there's no inspiration in logic. There's no courage in logic. There's not even happiness in logic. There's only satisfaction. And the only place logic has in my life is in the realization that the more I am willing to do for my wife and children, the more I shall be able to do for myself. I imagine after hearing that story, you won't have to be told how to find your purpose or how to identify it or how to surrender to it. If it's a big purpose, you will be big in its accomplishment. If it's an unselfish purpose, you will be unselfish in accomplishing it. And if it's an honest purpose, you will be honest and honorable in the accomplishment of it. But as long as you live, don't ever forget that while you may succeed beyond your fondest hopes and your greatest expectations, you will never succeed beyond the purpose to which you are willing to surrender. Furthermore, your surrender will not be complete until you have formed the habit of doing the things that failures don't like to do. Here's a summary of some of my favorite quotes from The Common Denominator of Success. The common denominator of success, the secret of success of every person who has ever been successful, lies in the fact that he or she formed the habit of doing things that failures don't like to do. The things that failures don't like to do are the very things that you and I and other human beings, including successful men and women, naturally don't like to do. 
In other words, success is something which is achieved by the minority of people and is therefore unnatural and not going to be achieved by following our natural likes and dislikes, nor by being guided by our natural preferences and prejudices. Most all dislikes emanate from this one basic fact of life. We don't like to talk to people who we perceive don't want to talk to us about something they don't want to talk about. Any reluctance to follow a system, to use a prepared presentation method, or to organize things and to organize effort are all caused by this one basic dislike. Why are successful people able to do things they don't like to do while failures are not? Because successful people have a purpose strong enough to make them form the habit of doing things they don't like to do in order to accomplish the purpose they want to accomplish. When you go into a slump, focus first on your purpose and your production and results will follow. You're the kind of purpose you are because you've formed the habit of being that kind of purpose, and the only way you can change is through habit. The success habits in most businesses are divided into four main groups. One, marketing or prospecting habits. Two, scheduling or calling habits. Three, persuasion habits. And four, working habits. Any successful person will tell you that it's easier to persuade people who initially perceive that they don't want what you have to offer than it is to find people who do want it. But if you've not deliberately formed the habit of asking and listening for needs regardless of wants, then unconsciously you form the habit of limiting your market to people who perceive to want everything you have to offer, and therein lies one of the one and only real reasons for lack of prospective business. Take the time today to reflect on your purpose. Your purpose drives your habits. Your habits determine your success. And that is the common denominator of success. Thank you.